Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Life Church Rewind podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here with Pastor David Sangster. Hey, everybody. And this week, we are wrapping up our series on the story of David. Mm. So we've been spending, I believe it was six weeks, six weeks yeah. here uh, going through uh, the life of King David, and it was kind of like more of a survey of his life as opposed to going through every last detail, or we'd be here for, I don't know. Maybe a year, maybe a year or yeah. two, right, or whatever. It and, was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so um, we're going to put a bow on this series mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. Uh, before we start looking forward uh, to a new series that we're starting next week. So let's just finish strong here, Pastor Dave. What was the title of this week's sermon? Um, we were talking about David all through the series, talking about the heart of David. So this week we we landed on, the last week was an exemplary heart. An exemplary heart. And if you don't mind, I'd like to have you restate the big idea of this message. And the reason I want to do it is because normally when we do this podcast, I kind of look at it like we're going to go through it with a microscope Mm -hmm. and we're going to kind of zoom in on little things. But when I listened to this message, it actually was more like my mind started to go to bigger ideas, kind of expansive things. Mm -hmm. And I really liked this message. So could you just read for us or recite the, uh, the big idea? Yeah, the big idea was really simple this week. It was David's story pointed to Jesus. To Jesus. So I want to ask you, is it just David's story that does that, or do we see this happen with other people's story arc in the Bible? Or is that big idea kind of specific to David? Well, I think when it talks about, when we talk, in the context of this message, when we're talking about David was a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. It does have a special uh, resonance with the person of David, and plus, it maybe has a little special resonance with me because David is my my favorite biblical hero. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's he's my guy. I'm named after him. I just I just love this guy. So uh, I love him because of his his uh, successes and his failures. I love him, but I think a, a theme, especially of the Old Testament and a lot of the New Testament. Mm-hmm is that um, the characters that we meet in the biblical narrative, they, they all, in one way or another, point to the goodness of God or the need for Messiah. Right. And so you also mentioned that David's story is kind of like a mirror. Mm-hmm. So we look into this mirror, and in this mirror, like David, we see our own flaws, our own strengths, right? So is that a theme in the entirety of Scripture? Like, is almost any character, like you said, or um, book of the Bible, is each one of these a mirror that kind of can point us towards our own flaws and strengths in some way? Or is this kind of unique to David's story? Well, like, like you said, on a big scale, like we've talked about in the last in the mm-hmm. few, past few uh, podcasts, that we have to remember that the Old Testament is written to a specific people. And we just can't fill in our names into a lot of these things. We have to understand the context, the culture, and the purpose for which it was being written to the original audience. But that being said, uh, the entirety of Scripture is supposed to reflect the human need for God, the human right. need for God, the lacking of humanity, which I'm a part of, right? So it is a mirror to me to say, uh, this is. This is how I act. These guys are doing, in a different context, in a different time, are having the same 
uh, struggles emotionally, the same struggles morally, the same struggles with their mind and their actions. Humanity hasn't really changed all that much. It's just that our societies have uh, changed in a lot of different ways. But sin is sin, and humans are humans, and God is God. And it all through history shows us uh, the need for God and the human lack. As you were talking just now, it almost made me think it's actually probably more like one of those uh, funhouse mirrors. Yeah, right, yeah. So sometimes you get a glimpse of yourself. You feel really good. And you feel really good. <laughs> you like, But then sometimes you get like that funny angle and you're yeah. all, and I mean this sincerely now, like you're distorted. Mm-hmm. And like when we're behaving in sin and we're going down these bad paths, we almost become less human. Oh, yeah. And when we look at ourselves in the funny mirror and then... But guess what you can do? You can take a step to your left or a step to your right, and you can kind of play with that image. And I think it's interesting because when you talk about the image of God or a mirror, uh, we have to go back to creation and say uh, we were never supposed to reflect ourselves. We were never supposed to be our own object of of praise and our own object of uh, adoration, right? We were always supposed to be reflectant of the image of God. And when we don't, that's when the funhouse mirror takes a, a a wonky turn. Yeah. And so the Bible is not shy about highlighting people's strengths, mm-hmm. their weaknesses, the highs of their life, the lows of their life. Right. And we see that in, in David's story. Mm-hmm. It, his story is almost just like a wave. It's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. But I want to ask you now a question for any skeptics or, or Christians who maybe— um, are questioning their faith, right? So aren't these situations where we see the bad in these characters, isn't that actually proof that the Bible is true? Meaning like if someone was just going to make this up, they probably would cut a lot of the stuff that we talked about in David's life or other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. They would cut it out. Like, well, who wants to say, yeah, I would be like, if I was making up a religion about myself, like, right. oh, Michael was great. Michael, did, you'll follow him because yeah. he never did anything wrong. Uh, what do you think about that? I think it is, in and of itself, I don't think it's uh, the most convincing argument for the validity of Scripture. But it is one of the many things that that prove the validity of Scripture. The Because just take some of the heroes of faith, right? Some of the big, David's one of them. We mm-hmm. already talked ad nauseum about his his failures, and we don't need to compound, but think about like guys like Abraham. Right. Abraham is the founder of the Jewish, of Judy, of, of the Jews, right? He's I, the whole I mean, thing. You could even say he's the founder of three religions. Yeah, actually. Because, I mean, you know, in school we called them the Abra- Abrahamic yeah, religions, right. Islam. Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. Yeah. And uh, so this guy is the patriarch of all this, and he's a liar. You're kind of a coward at he's times. A, he's, a, he's a liar and a coward. This is not something that you write about, about your patriarch, who is uh, is the most important person to your culture. Um, Moses, the guy who uh, brought out the whole Passover narrative that the Jews really hold on to, the guy was a coward. Uh, he was, uh, he, he didn't want to do what God told him to do. He was a murderer too. He right? was a murderer, right? Uh, even if you, even if he killed on behalf of a good cause, he did it mm. out of anger, right? So there's a lot of things like that. Um, Samson, all the judges, really, they, they really were so flawed. And then, and then, as you go through, you get to David, you get to all these people. Every single time that there is a hero in Scripture, Scripture is very 
quick to show the massive ways in which they're deficient. You know, there's this saying that we use. Uh, I know you and I use it. Sometimes we use it in the church. Like there's big G God yeah. and small G God. Mm-hmm. But the heroes in the Bible are the same way. There's big H hero. That's right. God. That's Christ. That's right. the spirit. But these guys, when they act heroic, they're just like small H heroes, Absolutely. right? And, and, and I think that's the point where uh, that the Bible is trying to make. And I think that's on purpose. Uh, the idea that men are going to be men. And there's nobody who's perfect. And then we have the end of the 400 years of silence in Christ, right? So let's talk about perfection. Let's talk about the perfect man. Okay. But before we do it, let's talk about genealogies. Oh, boy, fun. So for the listeners at home. <laughs> it's my favorite part of Scripture. <laughs> do I really have to read those things? No. No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, you do. I mean, they're important. Uh, they have a lot of important things in them. They, I, I, I'll be the first to admit, man, get into a, a section of genealogies is not something you want to, you know, curl up with a cocoa with. Yeah, right? It's not fun. I think fun. you'd have to be like a certain kind of like Bible nerd yeah. to like really get excited about those. But they are exciting. Yes, they they, they, they say a lot. Mm-hmm. They, they are a way of communicating a lot of information in a very short span of text. They, they, they convey a lot of, uh, of important things. And this is a perfect example of what we've been kind of talking about for these past few weeks of the genealogies. When we say uh, a lot of these books, they weren't written to you, right? Right. But the people who originally read these, mm-hmm. they were into genealogies. Oh, absolutely. Like, it, it's not like it is. We we are kind of now, too. I mean, look at all the, the uh, what is that, those mail away blood tests that you can do. That's true. You yeah. Know, yeah. What are they called? Uh, uh, like ancestry.com. Yeah, ancestry.com. Yeah. But, but the people who originally received these documents, mm-hmm. they were going through those. They knew how Fine to read a good old man. genealogy, yeah, probably more than you and me. Absolutely. So I guess they're important in that way. They were certainly important to the original hearer mm-hmm. of these. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Jesus comes into the world mm-hmm. through the lineage of David. Right. And I think you use two different, um, genealogies to get us there one from uh luke and then, luke and, and one through matthew and one yeah. through matthew and we and we covered how they were written different audiences kind of needed a different lineage to be mm-hmm. convinced that jesus was who he, he says he was mm-hmm. but we also read in luke i believe uh we get this curious title mm-hmm. for jesus and it comes as son of man or son of god right so I have found over the years that people get confused by these titles, mm-hmm. all right? So I just want to spend a couple minutes talking about Son of Man and Son of God. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to ask, are these titles interchangeable, or are they, like, like what's the deal? Because he gets called both. He yeah. calls himself both, too, I believe. Yeah, he, the most common designation that Jesus uses for himself, and it's you, he uses it in all four Gospels, mm-hmm. is this title of the Son of Man. And it's kind of a funny thing for our, our modern ears to understand because we're all sons or daughters of of man, right? Mm-hmm. That's that. So, how does this particular title that Jesus give him give him any more uh, messianic properties, right, or, or distinction? Um, so Jesus uses that quite often. Let's just give you a couple. Matthew eight uh, twenty says, and Jesus said to them, "Foxes have holes and birds have the, uh, have their nests, but the Son of Man." has nowhere to lay his head. And he's referring to himself. Clearly. Yeah. And then over in Matthew 
20, 28, it says, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, uh, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's talking about how he's going to give his life, and that he didn't come to be served like a traditional king. So this Son of Man is a title that he uses, and it's, it's all through Scripture. So the phrase Son of Man appears many times in the Old Testament, both for one, like one person, but it could also be Son of Man, meaning it's a al- group of people. It's almost like an adjective or a descriptor right. sometimes, right? Like you see uh, Ezekiel 2 has it, Psalms has it a bunch of times, Numbers talks about that as well. Um, but there was one Old Testament author that made a very interesting distinction. He was a, pro- uh, a prophet, and that's Daniel. Okay. Daniel uses this in a very specific way in Daniel chapter 7. So verses 1 through 14, Daniel records seeing a vision of four great beasts rising out to take power of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, then the Ancient of Days, which is considered is God, right? The Ancient yeah. of Days takes his seat of judgment and takes away the dominion of these four beasts. After that, Daniel sees, and he, this, is how, this is the quote, one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. So one, like, the, like a son of man coming from the clouds of heaven. That's verse 13. Okay. Uh, this man stands before the ancient of days who gives him authority over all nations, languages, and peoples of the world forever. So that's a big title. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just the son of man or man. It's a, a particular son of God in the form of a, of a son of man. So when Jesus was using this terminology, mm-hmm. would the average person who was in one of these crowds, would they have picked up on that? Were they aware that Jesus was saying either, I mean, in there, because they, they couldn't really know, but right. were the people thinking he's comparing himself to this son of man, mm-hmm. or is he actually calling, like, do you think the people were like, I heard that in Daniel? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, they would have understood this as a messianic claim. So this wasn't, um, it kind of sounds veiled to us in right. the modern, because we don't, we probably have some version of an expression like that, but people then. But you got to understand, I mean, this is. Uh, and they were looking that's for what this I'm saying. Son of Man. They, they were, were waiting, waiting for this. For it. Yes. They were, they were waiting for this character from the book of Daniel to arrive. And the son of man uh, was the title that he would carry as the, the Messiah. So when Jesus calls, this is why they wanted to kill him. He, he's, he's literally saying, I'm that guy that Daniel talked about right. that you've all been waiting for. Right. And this is something that always um, kind of got me. I didn't understand it very early on in my reading through the Bible, but you get that scene when he's in front of Caiaphas, mm-hmm. and he's, he doesn't, he uses that very Jewish terminology mm-hmm. and that's when the priest tears his yep. robe yep. and i didn't re- like i always thought that was a weird thing to do too but that's a sign of just he was in mourning mm-hmm. that someone who he didn't think had the goods mm-hmm. was claiming to be that yeah, it was it was heresy at the highest level yeah to look the high priest in the eye if jesus was a liar to to say he was that well if he wasn't the messiah he was a liar well, that's true. So, I mean, he was right. he was making a claim, and people say, "Well, Jesus was just a good a good person or a, a, a great teacher or a good theologian." No, I mean, C.S. Lewis says it. Right, he, he's either a liar or a lunatic or what is it? It's Lord. He either is Lord, he is a liar, 
or he's crazy. Yeah, he's got to be one. He's got to. You got to pick. And uh, they, they they chose to believe he was a liar. A liar. Yeah. So now you got this other term, mm-hmm. uh, son of God. Mm-hmm. And this is the one I've actually heard people say that this is almost like where people get lost in this idea that Jesus is actually God. Mm-hmm. Where, no, he was just saying he was a son of God. You know, I'm a son of God. You're a son of God. Mm-hmm. We all believe in God here. Right. And we're you know, his children, even though we don't believe Jesus is who he, what do you think about that term? Does that have any special significance or is it people just kind of reading that the wrong way? Well, I mean, they're not wrong from the point of we are sons and daughters. Those who put their faith in Christ are adopted into the family of God. That mm-hmm. is, that is very scriptural. But when we're talking about a messianic character there that came from, the, I mean, there was very specific here had to come from the line of Abraham, had to come through the line of David, had to come, you know. So we're talking about not just any son of God. We're talking about the, the great high priest, the, the, the sacrifice uh, for, for sin. We're talking about a very specific person who is uh, the, the one in the form of the Son of Man. He's actually the Son of God. And uh, so it's the second person of the Godhead, uh, the Trinity is is, is uh, weaved in throughout all of Scripture, not yes. just in the New Testament. Yes. So this is a very specific title to the person who would be the Messiah, and and honestly, this is one he used much less than the Son of Man title. Son of Man. Yeah. Right. And so Jesus was just trying to tell the people who were listening to him, mm-hmm. "I am the real deal. I am who I say I am," and go ahead and write it in the Gospels because. Um, you know, I've said it before, you know, if Jesus isn't the son of man, yeah. we're all in a cult. Yep. We're just some weird mm-hmm. culty Jewish sect that thinks the Messiah came and really right. we're wrong. Yeah. And Jesus often, uh, the more the more times he's used the son of God title was an affirmation of somebody else's claim. So like Peter says, you know, you were the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did mm-hmm. Jesus turn around and say? He said, Flesh and blood did not reveal yeah. that to you, but my Father which is in heaven, you know, blessed are you, Simon. So he accepted that. But y'all remember, he's trying not to get his, killed. He's trying not to get killed. He's trying not to get his ministry uh, pushed down the down the line uh, too far either so, until he, so he can do all the things he wants to do. He actually tells people, you know, I just healed you. I just cast a demon out of you. But don't, don't tell anybody because <laughs> I, I want to do some things here before the, that day comes. So you said in the sermon, we're going to go back to David a bit. Everything that was good about David's life points to the goodness of God. I believe that's what you said. Then right behind it, you said everything bad about David's life points to someone's need for Jesus. Yes. Those are some powerful statements that you made. Mm -hmm. And I just want want to know if you want to spend a little bit of more time kind of fleshing that out. Maybe you can give us an example of whether it's someone in the Bible or someone you know where they kind of, they live, it's almost like yeah. two things going on at the same time, that inside the same person, yeah. it's a, a pointing and a need. I mean, you, you could take that passage and say it exactly the same way, and it could be my story. Right. Or it's got the same name. It's, it's really my story. Um, whenever I think about this, I always go to Paul. I mean, Paul... Paul is this great apostle. 
right? He is the apostle to the Gentiles. He even calls he calls himself the least of all of the apostles because yes. because he spent so much time fighting against Christ. But Christ reveals himself to him, and he goes out and he spreads the gospel farther than any other of the apostles had. And then there's this, this this point in scripture where he says, "I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do." What a miserable man am I? Yes, he, he has this. He has this same thing going on. He says, uh, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." He's like, to, "Anything good you see about me, I, could, I I attribute it all to the grace, the mercy." And, and the gift of God. Anything that you see in me that is, that is undesirable or that is sinful or that is, um, doesn't measure up to the glory of, of God, that's all me. I own it. It's all me, and I'm on my knees daily trying to find the heart of God, kind of like we talked about David. So this statement is one that really captured me as I was preparing this yeah. message. I wrote it, and I was like, Wow, that whoa, <laughs> that's me, and and everything that is good about David Sangster, it's all God, and everything that's bad about me, it's all me. And I will say, um, you know, I've only preached a few times, but I feel the same way that when you're, I'm sure you can relate to this. You're standing on the pulpit, you're looking at God's people in the eye, mm-hmm. and every once in a while you say something, mm-hmm. and you know, oh yeah, that it, it's not. In in the power of your own flesh, you would never say such a thing that the way you say it. That right. it, that um, just for even brief periods of time, we can be like a like a neon arrow pointing to the goodness of God. And it's just such a privilege to be able to to reflect God's goodness in any capacity of your life, whether no matter what you Absolutely. do. And I think if there's you know, be careful of preachers who don't let you know that they struggle with stuff. Yeah. Because uh, they're selling something. Because we all struggle. I mean, and that's why I think that when we say everything bad about David's life points not only just to the, 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 the sin of David, but also points to the need for Jesus. And even David, uh, Jesus talks about it in, in, in Matthew. said David refers to uh, um, the Messiah that's going to be coming. That is his son. You know, so it, it's, it's he's looking forward. We're looking backward, but he's looking forward. So this concept of the goodness of God being reflected and then the bad things in a person or the, the things they do wrong uh, needing Jesus in their life, right? But is this true of people who are not saved, people who don't know God, that when they behave in a noble way, because there's people who I know who aren't saved mm-hmm. and they are top quality people. They're the things that they do f- you know, for their families or their communities or whatever, right? So even in someone who doesn't know Jesus, mm-hmm. when people behave like you would expect a Christian to behave, even if they're not, mm-hmm. is that true for them too? Yeah. Because obviously on the back end, when they act badly, of course they need Jesus like we all right. do, but are I, they reflections I too? I had this debate with somebody. I was, and that wasn't a debate, it was just a discussion. Uh, they, were, they had made a, they were preaching and they said that nobody... Uh, can do anything. No, no good can happen in the world unless it's done by a Christian, because they only—they're the ones who embody the 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 prerogatives of God. I had to push back on that. I had yeah, to push back on that. A that bit. That's a tough one yeah. for me. I think I'd really need to hear a little bit about that. It was—it was—it was a startling statement when I heard it, and uh, it was back when uh, the hurricane hit 
uh, New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, and there was people down there, church people down there, helping rebuild New Orleans. And I was like, wait, wait, hold on. I just worked all day with Habitat for Humanity. They're doing great work. You can't tell me that all these guys who are not Christians aren't doing good things. So so I had to have this, you know, we had this conversation. It wasn't an argument, but it was a conversation. Yeah. And I, I do believe that, you know, we are all created in the image of God. That image has been distorted by sin. It's not perfect anymore. But I think one of the things that, sh- that um, shows that there is like legitimate good in the world, that, that the, the, uh, the remnant of the image of God is still on this world, is people's desire to want to help other people. Why would you do that? That's, that's not survival of the fittest. No, it really cuts against... Um, this idea of like Darwinian evolution. That, Absolutely. And, and I, I understand that preservation co- of the species, uh, oh, yeah, that yeah. cooperation can, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. being a, being a, a good chimpanzee can help the herd and all that, <laughs> like whatever. But yeah, there is something uh, to be said that, um, and you know, we never know what God has in store for people either. So right. like they might not currently know the Lord, right? They act good. They're reflecting the goodness of God, and then maybe someday down the line they've realized that's why I did it. the The biggest problem I have with this question is often, oh, this is hard to say, is often secular culture exemplifies the things of Christ better than the church does. They love people more sometimes. They're more caring for people, and the church is often seen as a place of of judgment, of, of hate. And, uh, you know, love doesn't mean acceptance. Let's put it that way. Love doesn't mean acceptance Correct. of all sin. But it is a place that we should be people who genuinely love people, not because they are deserving of it, not because they're, you know, they're everything together, but because Christ said that he loves them and that we ought to love them. So when it, it frustrates me when we see the, the world acting better than the church. That's where I get really upset. And, and the church is to blame for this. Um, we allowed, at least in America, we'll just talk about our country, mm-hmm. we've allowed the state to kind of take away from us uh, like social programs, welfare things, uh, adoption and child things. We, we kind of laid that at the foot of the state because we were like, sure. I don't know if it was just, you know, I, I don't want to talk bad about I don't know. Generations before me, I wasn't there when right. it happened. But but yeah, I mean, maybe the church is next, um, I don't know how to say it, but maybe we need to take some of that back from the culture that, you know, things that we've outsourced. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. S- some of the hands and feet of God stuff. Yeah, and, uh, and I think it's, it's to our shame and un- a lot of times to our undoing in churches that uh, people can't see the heart of God emanating from the church and that's and that needs a change and hopefully it does a new life that's what we're trying for but yeah it, it's 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 a shame sometimes but we can do it i mean we can do it that was our call you know to um to be the hands and feet of christ so moving on a bit in the sermon we went into colossians 1 mm-hmm. and i am i've always been in love with this book mm-hmm. because it used to puzzle me yeah and then I understood it. So um, anytime I get a chance to talk about it, I'm excited about mm-hmm. it. So let's do it. And we read in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the image of the unseen mm, God. Verse. I love that verse. And this, this verse, a long time ago, was it was 
like a stumbling block for me because I couldn't understand it because I never, it was difficult for me early on to understand how the Trinity really existed and how God could have a son, but that that son is God. It's a mystery. Right. But in the ancient world, it was a very common expression for someone to say, my son is in my image. Mm-hmm. So when, G- when, when this is said about Christ, mm-hmm. like we have an expression, chip off the old block yeah, right. or the, the apple doesn't fall far <laughs> from the tree. So in a way, if Jesus is the son of God, that's what this means. Mm-hmm. But doesn't this passage say something a lot deeper than just the common expression? Yes. Um, when, we, when it talks about uh, he was in the image of God and he did not see equality with God as something to be grasped, mm-hmm. that's, that's where it changes from chip off the old block to being something more. I mean, there's no equality with God unless you are God. There's, there's no, way to, no way around that. And he was willing to give up that that position to become lower than the angels, that whole passage. And so it's not just a, uh, you know, my son resembles me in many ways, my, my son, but he's not me, right? But he is, he's right. my, he's, you know, he's a chip off the old block, right? Uh, but this is different. This is a very Trinitarian passage. And uh, so I'd be curious what you think about it. Yeah, I think a lot of times in Scripture, at least for me, and my studying is when you see these, what do you call them, a double entendre? Yeah. That's usually where God's trying to cut you the deepest mm. because he's having you understand it on this basic level. Right. But at the same time, he's dangling you having to read that passage three times, right. four times, five times before you, you understand it. Yeah. And one thing I always wondered, I'm just going to ask you because mm. we're not going to, you know, tell God how to run his business. Certainly not. But this, this idea of having Jesus and in the old Testament, people would say, if you see God, Mm -hmm. you're going to die. Like you're going to explode or you're going to melt or you're going to be undone. Like Isaiah, does God, is it almost like God's kindness that he takes the image of a man Mm -hmm. so that we can interact with him in a way that's not so like I'm done undoing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, overwhelming. I mean, it must have been undoing enough to interact with Jesus, yeah. but at least you're looking at someone who looks just like you. I don't know. What do you think about that? I always wondered if Colossians was trying to really uh, Im- teach us that um, God in the Father form is so great, so powerful, so yeah. all-knowing, so distant, that like what a treasure it is yeah. to be able to look upon God. Because these other other pagans didn't think they could ever look upon their God, but right, right. What, what a blessing it is for us that we get to, there are people who laid eyes on him in the flesh. And, and they had a hard time with this concept, a lot of them, even his own disciples. He said, he, they said, show us the Father. And he said, if, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, think about that. That's a huge, that's a huge, that's a huge claim. That's huge. Especially to a people who had this, uh, this passed down uh, story about who God was and how unapproachable he was unless you went through all the hoops, right? It, I mean, he, he, uh, Moses, one of the prized heroes of the faith, says, let me see your face. And he goes, I can't. You, I'll, let you show, I'll let you see my back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll, yeah. I'll walk, by, by, you know, I'll move, move my hand and you can see my back for a second. Yeah, and didn't when they would go into the Holy of Holies where God the Father dwelt, yeah. they had yeah. like, Put them on a rope or whatever. They had bells on their, yeah. They had bells on their robes so that if the bells stopped ringing, you know, pull them out because he's <laughs> pull, dead. Yeah, pull the body out. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so so I just when we get into this image of it's God, it's amazing. It, it is amazing. It is something that Colossians one, mm-hmm. you could spend a lifetime yeah. of devotional time just contemplating what that really means for us. Mm-hmm. In you also went into Hebrews four, mm-hmm. and in that passage, there's a I don't have the whole thing here, but mm-hmm. Jesus is called like the, the high priest, mm-hmm. the great high priest. And what's interesting when we talk about David's story is David had the power probably. Mm-hmm to take that role for himself too. Mm-hmm. But David, he never had any interest in that. He right. always had, he never separated the priest from mm-hmm. from his monarchy. So Jesus is the, you know, the, the Messiah after David. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is a priest, mm-hmm. but he's also a king. Right. So are we supposed to understand this as like, because that's a role David never took for himself. Right. He just wanted to be king. Are we supposed to understand this as like a unification of like the government and the religion, the the material and the spiritual in the person of Christ? Because he he has so many titles, and one of them is priest, and one of them is king. Yeah, and so so we, we talked about it a little while. You you brought up a good point a few weeks ago about how um, David and and Saul really were a substitute for the real king of right. Israel. They, they, they were a poor substitute. Mm-hmm. Um, there was only one king of Israel, and it was God. Mm-hmm. He was the king of Israel. And so when they when they clamored for a, a king, God gave them what they wanted, their, what the yep. desires. Yes. And, and it's not the same thing, but it's similar in the fact that um, the priest, the high priest, was a poor substitute for the presence of God. Yes. It was it was not something I mean they had to take the sins of the people and they had to place it onto a ram. March the ram in, slaughter the ram, sprinkle the it was it was not conv- it was not a good re- uh, replacement for the presence of God. Yes. So when David when David is the king of the people and then later on Jesus is called the king of kings, right? He's also called the great high priest. So this is the greater version of what they had, the substitute, the through a dark uh through a dark mirror, you know, almost like the priest of all priests. Yeah. And 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 and, and we understand that uh what's above is also below, but it's it's kind of marred and distorted, right? So uh, Jesus takes these both these roles and here's the here's the thing I think about it he always had them right he it wasn't like he was assuming something later on that we bestowed upon him yes he always was the king of kings he always was the great high priest he always was the sacrifice slain before the foundations of the world he always was these things we just started to have people write about him so we could see him <laughs> so back to David mm-hmm. I think he kind of got a a bad deal mm-hmm. because people in his day looked at him as a Messiah figure mm-hmm. and then they looked upon his, they were always looking to his descendants to fulfill right, that role right. Messiah. Yep. But David knew he wasn't mm-hmm. the Messiah. So he knew he wasn't the real deal. Everyone was like, hey, David, aren't you mm-hmm. the real deal? So wasn't that almost an impossible scenario as much as we like to pick on David and his things he, when he fell, but like, wasn't that a lot of pressure? Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
But it's no more pressure than, I mean, I guess I, I shouldn't say that. It was a lot of pressure because he was kind of like, he was the exemplary, right? We talked about the exemplary mm-hmm. heart, right? So people looked to him. But um, anybody, you and me, we try to be our own Messiah, we're going to fail. We're going to fail miserably. Uh, any any human being who thinks he's more just, more righteous, more uh, knowledgeable than than God is gonna is gonna is doomed to fail. This is the common thread that runs through the heroes of the faith, and David is just a a great study in that. Yes, yes. To to, to answer your question, very yes, absolutely, yeah. it, tall order. But we all. We all struggle with that tall order. And like Paul says, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's really what I do believe, despite all the interesting ways it played out, I really believe that David got the title, a man after God's heart, because he was, imitate me as I try to imitate God. I agree. At the end of the sermon, um, you kind of talked about how people say this kind of phrase, when I get cleaned up, oh, yeah. when I fix myself, that's when I'll start coming to church. Mm-hmm. That's when I'll give my life to Christ. So they think that the order is you get sanctified, mm-hmm. then you get saved. Right. But in reality, it's salvation that leads to sanctification. Right. So is this a further evidence that the gospel is kind of upside down on purpose, that it is a counter? counterclockwise wisdom or something like this? I think it's also, I I absolutely believe that um, the reason it's so hard for people to, to, to do this is because it's counterintuitive. We want to get, you know, before we go in front of the president of the United States, we're going to get cleaned up. We're going to get looking good. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, you know. And you should do that, yeah. by the way. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's how we think about it. We think of the king of God, of the priesthood before they went in, right? Whereas um, the reality that Jesus brought is this concept of you, you can't, you, you could never be holy enough for God. There, stop trying. First, surrender to the fact that you are a sinner. Surrender to the fact that you're a sinner, that you that you got stuff in your in, 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 in your background and that you're dealing with stuff right now. And come to me, accept my sacrifice on your behalf, because that's what I did. And then and then let's figure this thing out together. Because uh, the Holy Spirit is the only thing, the third person of the Trinity that we're talking about, the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can really change a human's ability to honor God and um, and we're putting the cart before the horse if we feel like we can get ourselves clean enough to to be right with God we can first Corinthians says God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong Mm -hmm. and isn't in a lot of ways that the story of David the story of David the ruddy Mm-hmm. youngest shepherd boy mm-hmm. who slayed the giant yep. who defeated the 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 demonic well I would say demonic king but Saul had some issues yeah. and and brought the kingdom of God to, to you know through the power of God to, right. to fruition isn't that isn't David's story the kind of story that would 
shame the wise? Yeah, it's the Arthur legend. The little scrawny King Arthur pulls the sword and ends up ushering in Camelot. I mean, it's 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 the it's the prototype for these these stories of uh, the un, quote unquote the underdog, the David versus Goliath mm-hmm. scenario. It it's the whole prototype of that because that's what you, that's what God loved to do. He did it with uh, all the patriarchs. They they never they subverted expectations all, all the time. And I know we're going a little bit long today, but I have two last questions for you. Bring them. And I, and I think these are great questions to ask when we end these series. What is something you learned about David's life this time through your studying that you didn't know before and now you just can't unsee it? Like, what did you learn? If you can just share one thing with us. Yeah. I, I think the thing that really uh, got me on this study through was the relationship between him and Jonathan. Mm-hmm. I think that was empower that was powerful to me that I never really I mean we talked about it before and we've uh, I have uh, molded over but just the the concept that David was at his best and maybe maybe this is because of, of, of the place I'm in now as a leader of, of a church and but David was at his best when he was surrounded by other guys who were going to support him mm-hmm. he was absolutely at his worst when he was on his own. And I can I can feel that you know I can feel that uh, that tendency towards isolation uh, that causes uh, there to be a lack of accountability that really is the devil's playground and that was one of the things that really stood out to me that you know it wasn't the Goliath story it wasn't the Bathsheba story that the Jonathan narrative uh, the friendship he had with Jonathan was something really powerful made through this time awesome and what is the one thing that you didn't preach on but looking back on it you were like maybe I could have opened it up for a seventh week and preached on X. Mm-hmm. What do you think that one thing was? I mentioned it the other day, but um, the big thing that we didn't talk about was uh, David's poor parental instincts mm. and the, the cautionary tale of David's uh, lack of fatherly, you know. I, you know, and it's, it's funny because we talked about it early on. Um, David had a problem within his own family. They didn't see him as a legitimate son or brother. Mm-hmm. And that may have added to the fact, he may have been uh, not not fathered well. Therefore, he didn't know how to, right. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff yeah. there that we could yeah. unpack. And that was probably one of the things, just the cautionary tale of being uh, an absentee, if not kind of a, a lame dad. Lame dad. So as we move on from the story of David, because, you know, it could be maybe years before, you know, whether you're a church that preaches, you know, verse by verse or you do topical sermons or whatever. It could be a long time before we really uh, talk about David again. Yeah. So I was just hoping you could give the listeners you just your final thoughts or a final encouragement mm-hmm. on the story of David before yeah. we move on to the next series. Yeah, I think— well, if you're involved in new life, you probably won't be too long before we touch David again. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> because, I, but the, here's the here's my thing from coming out of this series is this, um, and I said it, and I was kind of I, I I noticed watching back some of these sermons that I said it a couple times, and here's the thing, you you can't do this on your own. Mm-hmm. You cannot be a man or a woman that is in hot pursuit of the heart of God, and be successful in isolation and on your own. Uh, you can't do it without really good 
support around you, friendships, uh, people who ha- who've got your back, people who are gonna who are gonna uh, weep with you, people who are gonna you know, build your faith. A- and you can't you can't do this stuff without surrender to the will of God, to the, to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember, David, all the good things that David did, he did under the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was on him. Was on him. And the things where he, uh, where he failed is because he forsook the two things, the, 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 the prompting of the Holy Spirit in his life and the accountability structure that he had around him. And if, if, if you remember nothing from this series is that you cannot do it alone, but with Christ and with a good uh, a group of people around you that are going to support and help you, which is what the church is supposed to be, yeah, you can do it. It's not that you can't do it. You just can't do it alone. And those two resources, the Holy Spirit and, and the structure of support that I believe the church brings, man, there's nothing you can't do. Amen. So that wraps up the story of David. I hope that going through the sermons and the rewind with us was something that was encouraging. I hope that you learned something. I hope that you were built up in your faith. And I just want to thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed your time with us, please remember to like, follow, subscribe, give us a five-star review so that we know you're out there listening and that um, maybe we'll continue to do this into the future. And we will see you next week. Thanks for hanging in with us. Matthew 28.